Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to put our necks on the line and make 2023 predictions. Yes. Oh my God. I just pictured a turkey, probably because, you know, Thanksgiving was just over. So yes. yeah, I picture the chopping block above our necks now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. So we are coming down to the end of the year as we record this, about to head into December and uh, have occasionally done these prediction shows. I don't think we've done one every year, have we? I don't know. No, we, I think we just did one. I think oh, last okay. year was our first. Yeah. And, and we were 100% right on every single one of them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what we I said. have no idea if we were yeah. or not. <laughs> <laughs> so you can hold us to it. Uh, you can hold our feet to the fire, dear listener. Uh, but yeah, so here's here's some things to think about as we go into 2023. Yeah. I think you're a little bit more prepared here. Do you want to start with uh, the top of your list? Yeah, I, I think this. I think you'll relate to this. So I, I guess the way I would say it is that fear, F-E-A-R, is all around us. I feel like there is going to be so much fear about things like recession, inflation, monetary policy, war, politics. And it's easy to get sucked into that. Um, but those who don't, those who conquer it, I think we've got the opportunity to, you know, up our game and maybe even take home a bigger share of the marbles. Hmm. Interesting. And so do you mean fear generally? Do you mean like personal mindset or more like clients not wanting to get up off of their wallet? Well, I think part of it is buying into the media and I mean, let's face it, media's job is to rouse us to something. And it's a lot easier to rouse us with negative news than it is with positive. So I feel like all around us are these messages. Inflation is going to keep going crazy. The recession is just up ahead. The stock market is going to crash again. You know, all those kinds of things. Here's an example. So there was someone in LinkedIn who had a, a thread about, should you reduce your prices now for next oh. year? And I'm sitting there going, are you kidding me? Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. And it's so there, I, I believe that there's going to be more and more of that. And some of it will just be subtle pressure, like you open your um, your your statement and you go, oh, man, my 401k went down by, you know, 20 percent in the last three months. Um, but others of it, it's just going to be insidious, like mm. the, the LinkedIn, like somebody, you know, trying to fear monger on Twitter and I just think it's important that we play our own game and we not buy into the fear that other people are trying to whip up around us. Mm. Yeah, it does. I mean, I feel like that's been true for a long time, but it's even truer now. I mean, because because of the everything that you listed. So folks that are, uh, I mean, like that LinkedIn post about like, should you lower your prices now? That just like, it's just come on like even mm -hmm. with all of those things being true like all of the uncertainty being true there's a great line from game of thrones there's a character called Littlefinger, and he's talking to varus and he said and and varus says something about like you know but the world will be thrown into chaos and Littlefinger says chaos is a ladder and <laughs> and it's such a great way to look at it yeah it's like right so the status quo is going to be but I mean, if all of these, you know, if all of these sort of fears come to fruition, like the status quo is just going to be shaken a lot. That's good. Like it can be good. It's not good if you're, you know, if, if for, for people who, you know, 
have a house of cards, you know, the, the slightest disturbance freaks them out, you know, they, and they want everything yeah. to be stay the same. Yeah. But for people that are, that are, have a so really solid value proposition, it's, it can be good. It shakes things up. It makes you, it forces you to innovate. It creates new constraints without constraints. There really is no improvisation or creativity because there's nothing to push against. So you know, and, 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 oh, by the way, like some of the biggest companies in the world now were started during post.com crash and mm-hmm. in the, uh, like last recent, was it the last recession or two recessions ago? You know, it's like, if you can get, if you can weather the tough times, it's like an amazing sign that you're destined for big things. And the, and the other, I can't help commenting on the point about, should you lower your prices now? That makes me want to throw up in my mouth. But <laughs> but what you can do, because it, it is, I mean, I remember when, God, I can't even remember what year it was. I guess it was t- 2008. That was the the banking crash, right? 2008. And, yeah. and it hit different industries at different times. It kind of rolled through the supply chain. And I had one client who just got hammered immediately because they served the trucking industry and trucking got like crushed. And or be like someone serving the airline industry in early COVID, mm-hmm. and it, it's not that it won't. It's not that it wouldn't affect your existing business, but it doesn't. It doesn't prevent you from responding to the new situation in hopefully more quickly than your competitors. So if you're like, so so what I wish that LinkedIn post had said was, if you you know if you think that your 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 particular target market is going to be really negatively impacted by a recession or inflation or something like that. It's like, what could you offer? What a different offer? What's a different offer you can make? Not just like (laughs) slashing (laughs) prices. Like it's a fire sale. You know, it's like come up. It's like, okay, if people can't afford a $10,000, whatever, you know, Gazinga's pin, whatever you sell, then come up with a way to sell a $3,000 thing, but a different thing that perhaps is more aligned with the new reality than the old thing was that you can offer at a lower price because it's way lower cost to you. And maybe this will come, you know, you'll come up with, this could be your move into more strategic work where people want to do their own implementation to save money, but they still want to know what they're doing and have like an expert advisor uh, that they can pick up and, you know, pick up the phone and call for less overall money, but also way less work for you to sell. Yes. Yeah. Well, I I think the other thing is that there is avoiding these knee-jerk reactions. Oh my God, there's going to be a recession, so I have to recess, right? I have to pull back. And I just, no. Um, Yes, chaos is a ladder. Um, Recession can be a ladder. And I'm not saying don't prepare for when bad things happen, but don't put all of your marbles on one bet that isn't even here yet. Right. Yeah, it's like it's right. I'm just picturing like a video game, like my kids play this video game where like, you know, they're sort of like running forward infinitely, and these like blocks are flying at them, and it's the difference between just like like balling yourself up into the fetal position and letting the blocks hit you, Mm. versus dodging them. (laughs) Like it's like okay, here comes this big obstacle. Perhaps, maybe, maybe not. What's your contingency plan? Be creative, like come up with something cool and fun and different. It might be drive a, a big truck that they bounce off of. <laughs> that too. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It wouldn't hurt to sock away cash too. <laughs> like, yeah. That's the big yeah. truck. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, so 
what what there's a very really a closely related one that uh, I'm finding interesting uh, the the whole crypto crash the the sort of the the rug pull from the biggest uh, exchange current exchange mm-hmm. I think it's the biggest Binance might be bigger but FTX like rug pulling and basically running off with ten billion dollars of people's money is just like what a gut punch to the to the crypto space yeah. And, I, I saw a hilarious article about indicators of the health of the crypto market. <laughs> it's like, you want to know how the crypto market is doing? Uh, check the activity in the Miami nightclubs. And uh, and they interviewed someone who was saying that they were doing, this club was doing $500,000 a month of crypto transactions, and it's down to 3000 a month. <gasps> wow. Right? So like, that's a, that's a collapse. And, Whoa. Uh, and it's interesting because it, it, if you're in a space that it's a tech space, especially, you know, sort of tech billionaire space, and you're looking for VC dollars and VCs are not feeling as rich as they used to be, it's all on paper, right? But mm-hmm. um, right. if they're if they're feeling, air quotes, poor, then, you know, that could affect you. And it's sim- it's similar. It, I feel like it's meaningfully different from the economy slash inflation slash recession because it's a it's a target mm-hmm. because you know, the vast majority of people are not really worried about crypto. Um, but it, it's going to be fascinating. I don't really have a prediction. Well, okay, I'll give you a prediction. So, you know, so maybe that market affects you, maybe it doesn't. But I, my prediction is that uh, this is, this will, I don't want to say a blip, you know, I still remember Mt. Gox, everyone does, but you know, this will be an, a, 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 an event on the history, but uh, crypto is, I, I just cannot imagine it completely going away. You know, Bitcoin and Ethereum are going to be the really strong ones, but you know, who knows? I just do not seeing it going see it going away. Bear market be damned. So, will it come back in twenty twenty three? Maybe. So, are you saying that you think people are going to go and buy it now that we're sitting on the sidelines and I don't get it think back so. Up? No. Well, it'll be uh, right now. I think. I think a lot of the the really crazy growth before it kind of kind of fell off a cliff around April or May of t- this year and then and now it's just really got punched in the gut uh, the whole the whole you know like going to Thanksgiving and be like remember last year when you told us to buy crypto yeah how'd that go <laughs> it's always the ones who get in at the end you know some would argue it's a ponzi scheme right and so yeah. so the the thing where do I want to go with this I think there were a lot of a lot of late adopter retail investors that were driving the big growth in 2021 and also you know everyone was sitting in the house and like what are we going to do with our you know what are we going to do we got leftover money um so anyway so I think that the the I think it was inflated by sort of newbies but that did onboard a lot of people and expose them to the concepts and then okay so then it it falls off a cliff um, but I don't know. I just see it. I just see it. It's just such a, it's very useful in many ways. There's enough applications for it and enough. Um, no, I wouldn't say, I mean, I mean, there's a I'm trying market penetration is not quite the right word, but, but consciousness, like it is, it awareness. has awareness. Awareness. Yeah. People, yeah, people know they don't, maybe don't understand it, but they kind of know what it is. Yeah. There's like a, there's like a Bitcoin ATM in my Cumberland farms. So, you know what I mean? It's like, yes, you, you see it everywhere. You see the logo everywhere. Bitcoin's got by far the strongest. Cumbies has that? That is crazy. Yeah. 
check you out, cummies. <laughs> um, <Okay>. Yeah. So <laughs> I remember. I, <laughs> Northeast chain. Anyway, so the the Bitcoin to me it has the clear market leader in terms of awareness and per- perhaps even stability. Ethereum is much more utility, in my opinion. Those two have the biggest mindshare by a mile. Uh, there are other strong ones. You know, don't email me, but but anyway, I, I see it coming back. I don't know if it will be twenty twenty three, but it's going to continue to have utility. Uh, and um, but it, okay, so here's here's a prediction: more people, it will come back eventually, and more people will self custody instead of using exchanges. Like not your keys, not your cheese. So, like Coinbase is still seems solid, but if you're using Coinbase or FTX or Binance or any of the others, or not any of the others, but but ones that hold your keys for you, they can run off to the Bahamas in a Learjet if they, you know, take too many right. methamphetamines. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, give me some crypto bros. <laughs> right. So, I don't think it's going away. Uh. I do think it will come back as perhaps as soon as a year from now and people will more people will just be like well i'm going to avoid all this b you can easily avoid all this bs if you just learn how to not lose your private key <laughs> right so right you know and there are hardware um solutions for this but i don't i'm talking i, I can't stop talking about crypto so let's just stop talking about crypto okay um, but if your market <laughs> if your market i'll close on if your market does rely on crypto i think you're in for a slow period but not a, it's not over bumpy ride yeah all right okay well let's let's switch over to something that's gonna maybe sound self-serving but i believe it to be true um and that is that niching will be even more powerful like even more discrete and creative niches, like vertical, horizontal. I mean, people are just coming up with these amazing ideas and they're they're making a lot of money off mm-hmm. them. I mean, like branding strategy for DEI firms, uh, you know, estate planning for people who own restaurants. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you start to think about these things and you're like, really? But I keep seeing new ones every day. I just, I think it's going to keep going and it yeah. will just keep getting more and more powerful, whether you own a firm or whether you're a soloist. I could not agree more. And I, I, you get pushed back on this all the time. Every time a new book comes out that talks about T-shaped people and and um, and innovation and you know having a, a wide range of experiences and so forth and or like you know you know specialization is for insects stuff like that. I'm just like I'm like okay if that works for you great. Um, and I'm not talking I'm not and when I talk about niching down and specializing and getting super focused, it's it it's, it starts. It can affect what you actually do, but it starts with just how you talk about what you do, how you talk about who you do it for. And, you know, you, you maybe are a generalist and you can do good things for lots of different kinds of people, but that's ineffective from a marketing standpoint almost always. So, you know, so you, then you just have to rely on referrals of people who, who, for people, how do you say this? In whom's, whose heads you are positioned. <laughs> it's hard to say. <laughs> so like you know people and you're positioned in their heads because maybe they're a past client or a past colleague. And you're positioned as something in their heads. And then when they recognize that need in someone they talk to, then they can refer you. So there's positioning happening. There's like always positioning happening. Um, but 
but it's not under your control. You don't know what it is. And it's different in all of their heads. So it's tough to have any kind of critical mass. I just had a conversation with somebody along those lines. And it's, I, I was so struck by listening to this person describe what they could do. And it was, I could do this. I can do this. I have done this. And I'm like, there's no thread that well there might be but in conversation there's no thread that ties those things together and that's right. an easy person to and you feel bad about it because they're a nice person they're a smart person they're very capable but it's like what do i do with that like i don't know what to do with that and most people won't spend the time to figure it out so yeah. that's the person that relies on referrals that get weirder and weirder yeah, and so it's like right. by not focusing like you're you're exacerbating the problem that already exists Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I always say it's like Superman has x-ray vision like that's an amazing superpower. You probably have amazing superpowers. It's like need any x-ray vision. It's like I've got x-ray vision. Do you want me to x-ray vision something for you? It's like, you know, you want to pay me $10,000 to use my x-ray vision. It's like I don't know. No, I, I don't know how I would apply that. It's like it's a very resume centric self centered way to describe your what you do it's like here are the actions that i take it's like okay but what do those actions produce for me you know and just changing your language in a way that connects the dots for your ideal buyers and that means at least in your marketing you're going to start talking to a specific not a general a specific not people or business i help businesses it's like that's way too vague for it to, for you to use language that's specific enough to connect the dots in people's minds. And if you and, and you know, following on from, you know, chaos is a ladder. And if there's like if there is purse tightening in the future, being the go to person for your ideal buyers is going to be critically important, like more important than ever. It's always important, but I think it'd be even mm-hmm. more important. And recently. I have interviewed a number of people uh, about about sort of unrelated things, but it often comes up how specific, you know, so these are sort of success story. Like I just interviewed someone named Erin Balsa from House of Bold on Ditching Hourly, and she was really just, ta- she came on to talk about uh, her success stories using my proposal template. She's like, oh my God, it transformed my business. My close rate is literally 100% now since I started using it and increased fees by like 50%, like all of these great things. But none of that would be true if she wasn't attracting a mess load of inbound leads. And so we talked about that a little bit. And I was like, well, how do you how are you attracting these leads? Anyway, her step one, she's super, super focused on exactly who her ideal buyer is. And she said she's turning away nine out of 10 leads because they don't fit the profile. And so of there's course, a lesson. Right. So, of course, yeah. when she does write a proposal for the one out of 10, they're like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just take a look at whoever, you know, in your LinkedIn, whoever you're connected to with LinkedIn, just like spend 10 minutes and just scroll through and look at their look at their uh, their headline. Mm-hmm. And how many of them are super focused? And you, you kind of have to weed out the corporate people because they have a salaried job. And so they're probably not paying that much attention to this right. unless they're looking for a job. <laughs> but if you look at other people like you that have a business kind of like yours, look and see how many are really specific. And it might surprise you how many are still not. So I, I just think there's more and more opportunity to niche. And even as we niche, 
we can niche down another level. That happens not infrequently because it's a process. I mean, niching usually isn't like you wave your magic wand and you figure it out the first time. You make a decision and you try it and you see what happens. You see what language resonates, what what works, what doesn't, and you, you narrow, 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 and then you get to that point. And then maybe that niche is still too big. Mm-hmm. So you narrow down again based on the kind of client that you like to work with. I mean, it's right. and it's really fun. I mean, people go, oh, my God, this is going to take me forever. But it's actually fun because you're finding your people. You're finding the way that you can use your superpower. I mean, mm-hmm. it's awesome because yeah. the next thing you know, your business is full of people who energize and inspire you instead of saying, oh, my God, I can't wait to get out of this. Right. Yeah, sort of nickel and dimey price buyers micromanaging because your fee is like way more of their budget than they were hoping to spend, and mm-hmm. it's like really pains um, because you, because they're just not a good fit. Like you know, and I've, one of the things that I've noticed recently about about this sort of laser focused positioning, especially for soloists, right? So if you're not a not a firm or maybe a soloist or a really small firm in terms of headcount, that that the effective uh, sort of ideal buyer profile, you know, target buyer, ideal buyer, target market, whatever, uh, is a combination of a couple of different things. So like, I think, I think just because it was yesterday, I think I recorded with, with Aaron. So it's top of mind. Her target market is something like, it's something like marketing leaders at B2B SaaS companies that are doing more than 10 million ARR, but less than a hundred. I mean, it's something, it's something that specific. I might Super have the details specific, wrong, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. She's like, smaller than that, then they're going to, my fee is going to seem exorbitant and they're going to micromanage me and be really nervous the whole time. Uh, bigger than that, there's just way too much red tape. I can't take it. It doesn't, they don't move fast enough for me and I can't operate. Mm-hmm. So she's got this sweet spot that combines all of these different sort of, it's a combination of like demographic and, well, I guess they're all demographic, but it's, but it's like three different, there's like a vertical and two demographics or however, it doesn't really matter how you split it up, but there's like three things going on there. It's like a vertical, a title and, uh, and an annual re- recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and she's like, and so, you know, out of 10, out of 10 leads, she, one of them fits, fits the suit, as they said on the Brady Bunch <laughs> years ago. And, and boom, here's your money uh, up front, all paid up front, hundred percent. Here you go. Let's get started. Exactly. And the then power just, of niching. Yeah, she's teed up to hit home runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's, I'm, I mean, I know we're kind of beating this, but there's just no substitute for having a niche that suits you and that fits the marketplace, right? So there's plenty of potential buyers and they have a big problem that you can solve, a big expensive problem that you can solve, and they have the money to spend on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And since you just said expensive problem, call back to chaos is a ladder. There's going to be new expensive problems. Yes. Right. So that's the thing you'd be looking for to perhaps, you know, dodge the blocks coming at you, the obstacles coming at you. It's like, oh, yeah. is there a new expensive problem? What are, pe- are people are suddenly worrying about different things at night? So that's that's where you could innovate and create <laughs> new products and services. I'm still on my visual of the truck dodging the the blocks, and I'm like, I, I want that. I want it to be like one of those security trucks, like a Brinks truck, with a big yeah. window in the front and like a side door where we're pulling clients in, going, "Come on in here, you can dodge the blocks." It's, it's kind of 
kind of like what we what, what we all do, right? Yeah, it's a good yeah. visual. Yeah, <laughs> I'm there. Cool. All right. Enough about that. What 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 have you got next? Um, well, I you you um, alluded to this in our pre-chat as well. It's a breakout social media platform will be born, mm. Mm. and I you know I don't know will it be Mastodon? I don't know, but Twitter is. Uh, really bizarre and now the neo-nazis have been given kind of free reign so it's like i i just think that there will be something that comes out of this and and you know could it be just that the other social platforms play a bigger role maybe but i feel like there's a thing about twitter with its immediacy, and there's actually a public service Twitter does with uh, with public health, with um, emergencies like notifications. There's, I feel like there's there's something else that will be born that just isn't working right now to fill a need. And mm. what I like, and I I'm only starting to look at Mastodon. I don't understand it yet. Um, but what I like about Mastodon is it appears to give you the ability to pull together a group of like-minded people, which fits perfectly well with what we preach and what a lot of us do uh, who listen to this show is that we try to get a bunch of people around an issue. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like that might be a good place potentially to do that. It's still the Wild West, um, but it's gaining traction and it's growing like crazy. The, question is whether something else will come out that that trumps it so uh, yes so i my wife erica she says she she, her prediction is that historians will look back and say this whole twitter thing was the beginning of the end of social media as we know it my my whole reaction to twitter is like my of the platforms it's mine that's like that's the one that i get it's the one i've been on the longest it's the one I, i understand but it is a cesspool of hate and outrage granted so a couple i think a bunch of things could happen first of all nothing could happen and it could just sort of more or less write itself and you know maybe there's a different mix of of people on there maybe there's fewer bots i don't know um maybe the new authentication whatever you know what i mean i kind of don't care but it would be interesting if you know if mastodon became a new thing it's very it's it's got a higher barrier to entry for sure uh, mm-hmm. But it has a lot of really interesting properties. I see it kind of like a cross between Slack and Twitter, where you can create communities around an idea like birds of a feather. But you can, but it doesn't. But there's there's like a permeable barrier between your server and like other servers. It's really interesting, but it does take a while to get your head around. But I think that might increase the 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 I don't know quality is the wrong word, but it'll, it's going to change the type of people that are on Mastodon. So that something interesting could be there plus it's open source and maybe people listening will make their own mastodon servers and then have total control over their installation and their community it won't change underneath them and you know surprise we changed the interface or we changed the rules or we changed the algorithm so it's pretty it's pretty interesting that's what's pretty interesting is that you're not beholden but i I still think that twitter i don't think twitter's gonna go away because they're they're twitter can be a force for good um, particularly with um, with cities, with governments, with public health, with uh, earthquake notification. I live in California. Mm. Um, customer service for certain kinds of um, big consumer product companies. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to. I'm not going to say, oh, I think Twitter's going to die. 
uh, I, who knows with its current owner, but I do think it's created the conditions for something else to rise up. Chaos is a ladder, right? <laughs> My right. new quote for the day. Um, yeah. It's created the conditions for something that serves the thing that some of us got from Twitter and, but didn't get easily like we had to put up with a lot of stuff right. to get what we wanted from Twitter and so uh, that's where I think the opportunity is with a new platform mm. another social media related uh, prediction that I'll make is that LinkedIn benefits from all of this bananas on mm. Twitter so yeah. I I think I can the whole all of the the sort of drama around Twitter is just like I said, it's kind of fun to watch from the sidelines, but at the same time, it's a, an exhausting distraction. And like, I could, it's just like, like this again, like really, you know, <laughs> like, so I feel like if I was going to become active on social media now, it wouldn't be on Twitter. It'd be on LinkedIn for sure. Mm-hmm. Which isn't to say that everyone should do that. But like my, my people are very much on LinkedIn. They're more on Twitter. Like developer people are more on Twitter or used to be, um, but LinkedIn are more active there. I mean. But well, and I you have, can be snarky on Twitter. It's harder to be snarky on LinkedIn. Well, and that's part of the problem is because it does bring out the snarkiness in me when I'm on Twitter, which I usually regret. So I'm, and I'm just not like that on LinkedIn. It's, it's funny. It's just a different party. It's like and you put on your tie. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. And so yeah. over, so I, and I just feel like, I mean, LinkedIn is a, a dumpster fire for sure, but I feel like it's the one of the old ones. It's the one where our listeners are most likely to gain some kind of a benefit but you know you know it's like for certain people it might be instagram but instagram is such a pain and then you know it's just like you can't you can't not say tiktok like oh you know go on it's like all right whatever it it depends i mean it's easy b to c is obviously you can do really well on instagram or tiktok if you know how to do your videos and tell your stories. Um, It's harder if you're B2B, not impossible, but you really have to know your audience and they have to be there. You want to be where your people are. And so, yeah, I see, I don't think LinkedIn is a, is a dumpster fire. I think LinkedIn for, especially for people who serve big corporates, I mean, it's like it's it's the pond, right? You just have to find your section of the pond where your people are are feeding. Just to clarify, when I I meant the app itself, not the not the people on it. Like the the app is just a mess. But that's my that's my Oh, former, okay. Well, yeah. But yeah. You have <laughs> you'll have more opinions on I that have than opinions I will. About that, right. <laughs> But yeah, I do. But so the specific predict, not that people should all flock to LinkedIn, but I think people, I think a lot of people who just cannot, are just so bored by the whole Twitter drama will move to LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn will benefit from, from Twitter drama. Uh, yes. So maybe that's the thing that will, maybe that's a thing that will happen is that more people become more active on LinkedIn because they're, they have this like need to share their nightly Wordle scores. And so they <laughs> don't want to do it on Twitter <laughs> and they do it on LinkedIn. Who knows? But uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting just in, in my own case, I spend the time that I used to spend kind of roaming around on Twitter to see what was there. I spend on roaming around on Instagram because it's kinder, 
it's prettier, but I'm not looking for work. I'm like wasting time. Like mm-hmm. I'm looking, it's, I don't want to call it my creative time because I'm not being creative. I'm just scrolling through, but it's, it's interesting, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I find people and I find ideas. And so it's kind of that outlet and I don't do that on Twitter so much mm-hmm. anymore. Twitter is much more um, transactional at the moment because I'm waiting to see what happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I basically use it for nothing new. It's like not even well, news, we, really. We put the um, the podcast out there, so we have some loyal followers, podcast followers on Twitter who share it. So you know, I'll keep doing that, and I I put my uh, my posts on there, and I'll put a few thoughts. But it it's for me. I'm not being terribly interactive at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, same here. Yeah. All right. Okay. Did we did we beat the yes the poor extinct the... mastodon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mastodon's interesting. So I, I've got another one that sort of crosses over from the economy, and I believe that soloists are going to multiply in 2023. And I, I think you know corporate America, but especially tech right now. Have you, I'm sure you've heard all of these layoffs. Mm. And, you know, they're going to keep firing and laying people off and just to boost their stock price. And so, you know, who knows whether their stock comes back in a month, a year or five years. I just think that the smart and the disenchanted are going to look to go solo. Now, some are going to just start the new thing, right? They're going to go and create a new company. But I think a reasonable number will say, you know what, I'm done with that. I'm done with somebody else having control over me. I'm done with going to look to find money to fund my ideas. I am going to do this on my own. I will pull in people as I need them, but it's me, myself, and I. No employees, 100% in control. Mm. I just think we're going to see more of that. That is a good one. I agree with that. That one applies directly to me. Because don't start billing hourly, all of you people who decide to bring out your own shingle. (laughs) Yeah. But there's also, I mean, there's a bunch of people who haven't always been treated kindly by corporate America and tech, you know, women, LGBTQ, BIPOC, you know, it's like, I just think there will be more and more people going, you know what, I don't have to sell my soul for a paycheck. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do something else. And, you know, and it ties into this niching idea, right? I'm not just going to go solo, but I'm going to really dig into the work I want to do with the people who energize and inspire me. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one more call back to Erin and then I'll stop. But she she was in-house at the kind of at the exact kind of company where she, when she went solo, she now serves. You know what I mean? Mm. Mm-hmm. So, she, you know, she just basically jumped to the other side. So instead of being an employee, she's like a consultant. And that's probably an obvious way for for folks to go because you can be so much more fluid in terms of who your air quotes boss is you know you can you could get a new boss every week kind of you know or every yeah. month so yeah. you can you can get increasingly choosy about who you work with and you know like i said you just trade up uh, your air quotes bosses you know the people that you your your buyer uh and it's like hey if you if you've already been inside for five years you you've like an unfair advantage like understanding the your buyer Right. Like if you're if you are basically your former buyer, I mean, the former you is your new buyer. I I got that backwards, maybe. But, you know, if you're selling to your old self, in other words, it's like 
you just have ESP around what that person is going through. And then you can be so specific in your language about what kind of benefits you offer to that person and then connect the dots between what they want and, and what you do and how you can you know, use what you do to get them what they want. So I don't know if, you know, if someone yeah. is for, if someone has a friend who's thinking about going solo after being in wherever at Twitter, send them this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm also thinking in that situation is you probably have a finely tuned um, jerk detector, right? <laughs> if you've been inside and you, you know, you know, the ones who were just like jerks to work with and you can shush those out a lot faster when you're sometimes when you're on the outside. And they yeah, start it's a lot the, more fluid. Yeah, yeah. But you can recognize the jerks pretty early on. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, I've got another, I, I feel like I'm, I'm going kind of tech here between the crypto and this new one. But uh, there's a really interesting development in the AI world called Stable Diffusion, which turns text prompts into unbelievable uh, like 2D images. Oh, that's what that is. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. I know what it is. I didn't know what it was called. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think that's what it's called. I think that's the underlying open source uh, library. I'm not sure what it is, but I get framework. Who knows? But, but, and it's, it's sort of been the the interface is built on top of it. Uh, One's called mid journey and there are others, Uh, but the underlying AI is called stable diffusion. I think Uh, anyway, and it is, shocking what you can do with it and for mm. so for folks i suppose there's two kinds of folks listening they're probably if they're designers in the group this to me this is like uh, an opportunity it's like an amazing it, you know i'm saying this based on reading other designers talking about it a lot of them are like rejecting it like oh it's crap i can do much better on my own and then there are other design ish people that are like no this is an amazing tool that i can use to like like jumpstart my my process mm-hmm. yeah or perhaps even like near instant mock-ups of like what a client might want so if you said something like it's like a scenario where the client's like terrible at describing visual concepts in their mind as words you can it's almost like uh you, they can just you can just get them to say the word say some words and put pump them into this like whatever implementation of stable diffusion you've got and it like produces artwork instantly and they can Mm -hmm. be like yeah yeah that's what i meant or no not exactly or more old-timey or more like pixar and you just like change the words and like boom it cranks it out and maybe it's not the finished product but the idea of iterating with a client who's not great at um not great at really expressing their their ideas in a visual way their visual ideas in a in a text format it's really interesting there's yeah and you could use that to do your images if you use images with little blog posts and that kind of stuff you can do that it takes you know a little finagling to learn how to use it but once you do Mm, but not much some cool stuff yeah yeah Yeah. so right so if you're doing like um if you're if you're hiring designers or you're looking for stock photography or stuff like that for social media posts or or I don't know, whatever book covers or whatever, it's something, it's something to, to check out. But the, the point with the designers is like folks who are designers in the room, it's like, this is one of those things where it, it's like, don't compete with robots. I, I've been saying that for years. Do not compete with robots. And if, if you, it forces you to go upstream, it's good. 
right? Like if you, so if you think stable diffusion is crap or stupid, it's like, you might want to rethink that. It's very interesting for people who aren't designers. They're like, wow, like why would I ever use 99 designs again? Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, so I think, I think stable diffusion, if it feels like a threat, good, you know, move upstream, go farther up, do things that are a higher level strategic engagements with your clients. You use it as an incentive to move up. Well, there's something else in there as you were talking. You use the word commodity. And I think that, you know, there's another theme in that, which is sometimes an aspect of our work without our immediately being aware of it becomes a commodity. Yeah. Like I was I was talking with someone recently about bookkeeping. And I said, well, to me, bookkeeping is a commodity. What's not the commodity is the advice that goes around it. Mm -hmm. um, and so... I could see how in design it would be easy to go, oh, no, I don't want to do that because really my art is what really matters. But if the client looks at that as a commodity and values it as a commodity, then you want to rise above that, even though it pains you, and, and find a way to talk about strategy, to build more value. And it's true of like almost anything that we do. Um, when I was in the big firm consulting actuarial valuations were a commodity, but nobody recognized it until somebody decided to start a new firm and change the pricing structure. And then guess what? All the big firms dropped their prices and started to finally look at that data as a commodity and to price it like a commodity, but to price the other stuff, you know, much higher, of course. So yeah, it's that commoditization and we just have to watch out for it because if we, especially if we've been doing something for a while, it's really easy to go, oh no, no, that's not a commodity. My clients value X until they don't. <laughs> <laughs> until there's a, until there's like a hundred other people that do X. So like, I'm glad you brought up uh, an example that is sort of highly, highly specialized, like actuaries are super duper math nerds and uh, I've, I've seen the same thing recently with data scientists who are very well paid it's it's an in-demand thing but they're they're extremely interchangeable so like even though the even though the salary is nothing to sneeze at it, it doesn't it's it just feels like um is something that it, it's exactly what you just said about actuaries it's like oh you know i'm doing great you know, I, I'll continue to do great because I'm really smart and I've got all these degrees mm -hmm. and I really know what I'm doing. But if your employer or clients cannot differentiate you from other people who have a similar looking resume in any meaningful way, like they don't see any meaningful difference between you and the next 10 people, then they're, you, you're on a sort of thin ice, you know, you're on, yeah. you might not realize it, but it's like, no matter oh, how brilliant you are or how many degrees you have. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Right. Yeah, I just wanted to call out the point that you could be very well paid and highly uh, trained in a very valuable thing or a thing that's valuable right now, but that doesn't mean you're not a commodity. It's really a question of how many other people are you interchangeable with. That's that's the metric. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. So, all right. So stable diffusion, very interesting Uh I, yeah. I predict, I predict, and there's a whole other thing of, I guess it's not, uh, is it relevant to our people? I guess not. But the whole idea of text to images and creating sort of deep fake types of things like uh, that, that's, I guess it's outside of the scope of, of this show, but there's some really, the deep fake stuff is freaky. 
very weird. We'll see what happens with that. I guess, okay, here's here's an angle for our audience. Um, I think deepfake videos is not stills, but as that gets better, there's going to be a need to authenticate them somehow, which might be a really interesting business opportunity for someone technical. Um, but yeah, I guess that's all. That's the last I'll say about the really techie, <laughs> nerdy stuff. Well, I just have one more, and it sort of relates to some of the others, and that's that we crave connection. I mean, I could argue human beings have always craved connection. I mean, anybody would probably agree with that. But I think after the pandemic, and I, you know, are we still in the pandemic? Are we not? I mean, opinions differ. But I just found so many people are just craving being together. And I don't necessarily mean physically, although there's that. I mean, everybody wants to go to a conference. Well, almost everybody. <laughs> Present company accepted, perhaps, Jonathan. But a lot of people, they and they're, they're looking for that. But the other part is that they want to connect with other people like themselves in, in some area. It might be that I want to connect with somebody because we both love um, French Impressionism or we both love um, coding for rockets. I mean, it's, it's all of those things. But we are going to keep looking as a people for this connection. And so I think when you look at soloists and, and boutique firm owners in the expertise space, the more opportunities that we create for our people to connect with us and with each other is going to pay off. Couldn't agree more. And that, that's a that's something Seth Godin's been hammering on for a long time. You know, the sort of connection economy, being able to put people together, birds of a feather. I mean, I, I I am just blown away by how akimbo style workshops where a cohort goes through a material together, the dramatic, dramatic increase in completion rates and success is just and and yeah. and the and and then when it's over, people don't want to leave. You know, it's like, oh, I don't want this mm -hmm. party to to end. It's I think it's huge. You know, it's a lot of work to lead a group, even if it's a small group, but I totally agree. I think it's 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 like a, that's a skill that's never going to go out of style, in my opinion. Well, there's there and there's a sub category to what you just said, which is that there's there's group learning. I mean, I talked about the connection that we want to feel something, but it, it's also a group learning. There's something more powerful when you're learning from the people around you, you know, provided you have enough in common on whatever the thing is so that you can practice it together and share the experience of that it's just powerful I mean even something as simple as like I have a friend who I'll think about doing something for my business and I'll send her a note and say hey critique this mm -hmm. right and then you know and we might go back and forth a couple times and let's say I decide to do something with it you know she'll watch it and go hey what about this and what about that and I have somebody to talk to about mm -hmm. that you know same thing with your coach you know you've got an opportunity for somebody to not only hear what you're doing but provide a different perspective and that just gets multiplied when you're in a group of the right people I mean not every group is right for every person but when you sure. find your people there's this connective tissue that you build that gives you so much value yeah yeah it's 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 extremely sticky I mean it's very mm -hmm. It's beneficial for the group. It's beneficial for the, the leader, whoever um, facilitated it. And it's like increasingly, I feel like it's 
I, I just feel like the demand for that, like you said, it's maybe at an all time high. I don't know. It feels like it might, it, it seems reasonable to say that it's at an all time high the increase you know, pandemic, increase in remote work, people doing it for the first time, um, you know, lack of friends and family exposure. It's like all of those things. It's like, huh? All right. So. Well, and especially if you, if you leave a corporation, I mean, when I worked in a corporation, I didn't have any time to do all that stuff. If I did that stuff, it was directly related to my work. If I went to a conference, it was, you know, I wanted to be on the podium talking about my thing. And yes, I wanted to connect with people, but it was like, it was hard. It was, there was never any time. And when you're solo, um, it's not that you suddenly magically have more time, but you get to choose how to use it. Yeah, more And autonomy. I think it just, yeah, it just rises to a different level of um, urgency, of import, importance maybe is a better word mm-hmm. than urgency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that might be a good one to leave it on. Yeah, a positive, happy one. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> exactly. We're not, we're not all gloom and doom. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, anytime you invoke Game of Thrones in a predictions for next year, it's probably a bad sign. <laughs> I, I'm using that. I'm totally using that. Chaos is a ladder. Oh, I love that quote. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.